I'm Alison Twycross and I am Deputy Dean and Lead Nurse at London South Bank University and also the editor of Evidence-Based Nursing. And I'd like to welcome Karen McQueen uh, from Lakehead University in Ontario, Canada, who's joining us today to discuss the commentary she wrote for the journal about whether rooming in could be an effective non-pharmacological treatment for infants with neonatal abstinence syndrome, which we recently published in the journal. So Karen, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your interest in this topic? Sure. As uh, you mentioned, I'm from Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, Ontario. I'm an associate professor there. Uh, before starting work in academia, I did work as a registered nurse with childbearing women for about 15 years. So my research interests have really emerged from both being a practitioner and from, uh, and that's translated into my research. Some of my research interests are regarding breastfeeding and that led me into uh, breastfeeding among infants with neonatal abstinence syndrome. NAS or non-neonatal abstinence syndrome was not as common when I worked in practice as a nurse as it has become. Uh, the region where I live in northwestern Ontario ha does have a high rate of opioid use during pregnancy. And so my interest in neonatal abstinence syndrome are really from a nursing perspective and what we as nurses might be able to do to help decrease some of the severity of neonatal abstinence syndrome among infants. So Karen, can you give me a definition of rooming in? So we have this sophisticated meta-analysis that tells us that rooming in is good, but we don't know what rooming in is because the studies didn't describe rooming in. So we all have an idea of what rooming in looks like, keeping mothers and babies together, but we don't really know exactly what those mothers did while they were rooming in. We don't really know what the dosage of rooming in may have been. Was it 24-7 for the whole length of the hospital stay or did mothers come and go? It could have varied and in some studies if the babies required pharmacologic treatment they were transferred to the NICU for the medication, the duration until they were stabilized and then back to the rooming in model where others stayed rooming in and receive medication if required. What were the strengths of the systematic review? Sure. So the strengths of the systematic review, one of the main strengths is that the, the authors followed the PRISMA guidelines in conducting the systematic review, which is really, which is recommended. So the methodology that they used is fairly rigorous. When researchers use those kind of um, guidelines, they tend to have a really good search strategies, so we can be confident as reviewers that they likely uh, have all the articles on that topic, as well as they've used strict criteria in terms of um, get taking the data from the studies and then synthesizing them. I think uh, in this systematic review, they also uh, conducted a meta-analysis, which can be considered as a strength. Uh, the meta-analysis is a statistical method where it combines findings from single studies to give an overall effect and increase the sample size. So that can be considered positive. 
I, however, I guess it could also be argued that meta-analysis isn't always appropriate uh, if the studies are at risk of bias. And my assessment identified that, that these studies do have some bias or are at risk for some bias uh, with confounding variables, the methods of assessing NAS and selection bias. You've talked about risk of bias of some of the studies. Were, were yes. there any other limitations? I think that not necessarily a limitation of the systematic review methodology, but I think one of the limitations is that there's studies that were included, uh, there were six, that are mainly the designs are retrospective before and after uh, the implementation of rooming in. So as an example, there may be a baseline of NAS outcomes, then implementation of rooming in and measuring the, the NAS outcomes. That can coincide, coincide with changes in NAS care as healthcare providers, we want to be always progressing or implementing evidence as it comes along. So sometimes changes in practice can simultaneously occur during before and after study design. That's really interesting. But what, what I really want to know is what's important about the findings of the review? Well, it certainly appears that there's an association between rooming in and improved neonatal abstinence syndrome outcomes. So in particular, uh, decreased length of stay and less need for pharmacologic treatment. So as healthcare providers, if we can treat infants in a way that's going to decrease the amount of time that they're going to stay in hospital, the associated cost, and less need for giving them drugs or medications like morphine or methadone, I think that's really positive. I think that We've always known that it's good to keep mothers and babies together, uh, but we've also felt, I think, in practice that the NICU environment or the neonatal intensive care environment, which provides you know, intensive monitoring and observation that these babies need, may have been the optimal environment. And now we're finding that perhaps the busyness, the noise, um, that there may be barriers for parents visiting may actually be um, counterproductive. I guess, I guess that makes sense with what I know about neonatal abstinence syndrome, um, that actually being in, a, being in a relatively noisy neonatal intensive care unit may not be the best environment for them. Right. One of the things when I, when I read your commentary earlier was that I think there was an outcome about the, 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 the babies ending up at home with their parents more? Right. So Have I imagined that? that? Yes. Yeah, so there, that was one of the secondary outcomes. It wasn't evaluated in all of the studies. I think it, if my memory serves me correct, I think it was evaluated in three of the studies, which certainly found that there was a trend that babies that roomed in were discharged more often with their parents. So again, that's another um, positive positive effect. Now, one of the things that the systematic review doesn't tell us, and again, this isn't a limitation of the systematic review, but it's the studies that are included, is that we don't really know what the effective components of rooming in are. Is it the environment? Is it the mothers holding their babies more, conducting more skin-to-skin, perhaps breastfeeding more? 
or is it a combination of several of them, uh, several of those uh, strategies? Okay, so I guess that's about some of the future, the future research that's needed in this area? Yes, for sure. So I think that larger studies are needed, prospective studies where we're following these mothers and infants. Uh, certainly, I think that there's more detail required on rooming in. So what does rooming, look, rooming in look like at these hospitals? Are all mothers rooming in or is it certain mothers that meet eligibility criteria? Is it only mothers or is it mothers, partners, grandparents, foster parents? And what is it that they're doing when they're rooming in? Are they holding their babies more? Are they breastfeeding more? Is the environmental environment, you know, less noisy, calm? For healthcare providers that may want to implement rooming in or researchers who may want to replicate a study on rooming in to know the specifics of what rooming in includes. And that could help to identify what the effective components or the necessary components of rooming in might include. A lot of people who listen to our podcasts are clinicians working in clinical practice. What do you think are the key implications of the systematic review for healthcare professionals and nurses in particular? Well, I think for nurses in particular and healthcare professionals, I think that this provides good evidence that when possible, we should keep mothers and babies together, that we should really think of non-pharmacologic interventions like the environment, like breastfeeding, like skin-to-skin contact as equally important to some of the pharmacologic interventions. So let's not wait just observing infants to develop NAS. Let's implement these non-pharmacologic strategies right when the babies are born to see if we can prevent the escalation of symptoms. Or if we need to treat babies with NAS with pharmacologic treatments that we also need to continue with these non-pharmacologic interventions. I think that's a great um, finding and hopefully we'll give healthcare professionals looking after these babies something to reflect on going forward. So one last question for me is if, if the listeners were to take away one key message from this podcast, what would it be? I, I think I would probably repeat what I've, what I've said in terms of, of really focusing on non-pharmacologic interventions for any baby that's at risk of developing NAS and where possible keep families together to uh, implement these non-pharmacologic strategies. I'd like to say thank you for taking the time to record this podcast and for writing, for writing the commentary in the first place. So thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much, Alison, as well. So the commentary, rooming in, could be an effective non-pharmacological treatment for infants with neonatal abstinence syndrome is available on the Evidence-Based Nursing website. And I hope that you'll go to the website and download the commentary and read it and also look at some of the other content too.